stuff of someone, of someone like trying to grab something and the hand starts bugging out. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing because, like, I, I don't know, I haven't done like a ton with VR. Um, but yeah, it's there's definitely a lot of neat shit you can do with it, and uh, like I've, I mean, like I still remember when I first had the the quest going, and I was fucking around with Beat Saber and shit. That was a lot of fun. That'd be fun. Um, have I not gotten you to try Beat Saber? I haven't here tried ever? it yet. Uh, bees? Oh man, not yet. We, uh, I gotta do that. At some that's point. like that's Beat Saber is like number one on. If I got a VR, that's like the first. Thing oh I yeah, for up. sure. One hundred percent. Well, I was um. I had uh, JC and Dougie here uh, a while back, and I got them both playing it. Fuck JC, he is like a fucking uh, a master at Beat oh, Saber. Really? Like I was surprised. Well, I'm not super surprised, but he he was like he was just going for it. And he was going on like higher difficulties shit, and he was just ripping through like you wouldn't believe. Um, Dougie was losing his mind watching <laughs> it. <laughs> it was hilarious. It's a very entertaining game to watch, especially when you're good. Oh yeah, no, it's uh. It was definitely pretty great, but um, imagine there's like a through line between high level Beat Saber and like high level like DDR oh, yeah. or other yeah. games, bad games. Or it's like, all right, you're just watching someone killing it and going, <laughs> "This is awesome! I can never do this." One hundred percent. Well, I like I uh, boyfriend was showing me at one point a while back. There was a, a video of somebody doing like one of the songs from like uh, it was either Doom 2016 or Doom Eternal, like one of the the, the really like heavy oh, fast like pace like nick ones. gordon fucking just like riffing just mm -hmm. ripping through and he had a like a really high difficulty and it's just it's just these blocks just come in like at insane speed and it, it i just like trying to understand like the physical motion somebody would have to be doing to keep up with it and it was i don't know man i was getting tired just watching it <laughs> <laughs> well here we are on another week folks uh, thank you for coming on again. <laughs> I just totally blanked on what to head, say. Head, a little bit of hesitation here tonight, but it's all good. We're we're getting in. We're getting a little loose. We're we're coming in hot, but it's, it's Friday. Uh, it's the boys. We're here with Balcony Banter. This is Big V. And I'm Bias. And we're joined here this week by our good buddy, Mr. Uh, Digery Stew. Hey there. I thought we were gonna do a, a whole humming scheme to sync up, but uh, I think I think we'll probably be still good without that. I was planning on going low. <laughs> I did forget about that. <laughs> yeah, I kind of did too, but you know what? I'm going to be the one editing it later, so it's going to... Like, if I've if I've dug this hole, I'm the one that's going to have to, like, dig myself out, so it's fine. We'll just... I'll figure it out. Mm. But, uh... What a lad. You know, that's why, I mean, that's how it goes. Last episode was... I had a lot of difficulty with that, actually, because there was, uh... The episode we had, uh, Sherb on there last week, because, um... There were all these points where I had to keep like adjusting to like resync everything back up because for some reason like partway through the recording it would like get desynced between uh, oh, really? my mic and your mic that we had going because all three of us were here in in studio whereas today it's just you and I here bees and we got uh, all Stu coming in uh, over the remote on Discord, um, mm -hmm. but yeah it was uh, it was a bit of an interesting go of it but it. Uh, yeah, no, it, it wound up coming out okay, but it was... It, was I, a lot it did of sound really good, end. especially with the new setup. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, we're trying to improve it. We're trying to expand the, the mics that we got. We're looking at shopping around at some, some equipment and stuff, but we're we're uh, we're just trying to make sure we know what we're going for. and, and Yeah, uh, exactly. Doing a lot of research, and we're still oh, just yeah. getting started, too. Absolutely. 
Oh yeah, it's one of those one of those moving targets that the the more you the more you guys spend time on the, on uh, doing this podcast, like the the more knowledge and like the better you'll get at like feeling this kind of stuff out absolutely totally. that's a very good way of putting it uh moving target oh definitely i've been uh i've been asking uh zoo and jc about uh because they're both musicians and they know tons about the audio stuff so i was asking them for some advice and whatnot and massive and jc was sending me a link he's like oh yeah this is a, a good example of like an interface for like uh running audio input through from like several uh, several different like microphone inputs and i'm looking at this thing and it's a uh and no mind you it's obviously a much higher end uh, unit and it was a uh, like a four by four unit so it was like four input four output right which is ideally what we mm. want to be able to have is to be able to like have four separate mics at most going so, holy fuck occasionally <laughs> my fucking cat just like just ripped, ripped his headphones off like his head. he fucking like clipped himself on the hanging earphone cable that i have or headphone cable rather i should say for for what i got going on and i almost had that thing ripped off my goddamn head <laughs> <laughs> he's fucking uh going a little crazy i might need to adjust that actually because i think he knocked it loose that means that I have free reign to say whatever I want <laughs> if uh, Big B can't hear me, so this is going to go great. All right. Now's your chance. Talk shit. So what I'm going to talk about is uh, probably the dinner I'm cooking up today. So I'm cooking up myself a uh, nice uh, pork stew. I've got some fingerling potatoes, uh, red cabbage, uh, a couple of mixed heirloom carrots, uh, some nice softened um, <clears throat> onions, and kind of doing it all up with uh, like a dark, like, dark ale that, you know, Getting everything all stewed up, and in about an hour, we'll be ready to go, and I'll be having some nice, nice dinner after this podcast is over. I've never cooked with uh, alcohol or any kind of ale before. Uh, what's that like? Mm. Oh, it totally depends on what you're using, but like, I find that like a lot of a lot of ales and beers, especially like if you go towards like the darker and nuttier side of things, like they can be great to kind of like deglaze a pan or a pot if you're doing stuff with like pork or beef, um, and sometimes chicken as well. Um, but those are, I find, find that like beer is best with those meats. And then kind of all others, you kind of want to stick to, you know, stick to your wines. Um, and then occasionally doing stuff like, you know, doing deglazing a pot with a bunch of like, like um, a bunch of onions in it and uh, like onions and garlic with like a sherry or something. Because hmm. the main thing you want to do is make sure that any, like any crispy bits, like any, anything you got at the bottom of that pot that's not completely burnt, you want to add in some more liquid to it that's going to evaporate quickly, thus the alcohol, and then you kind of reintroduce all that nice, like, all that nice, like, crisped up, like, sugars in the bottom of the pot or pan or whatever back into the meal, so. Okay. Damn. Sounds pretty good, honestly. Uh, one of my roommates, he uh, marinates stuff in beer sometimes, mm. and uh, his most recent thing, he did, like, this roast, and I'm not the biggest fan of beer myself, but he gave me a piece of it, and it was actually really good. Oh, yeah. Not sure the type of beer he did it in, though. A lot of the stuff that, like, a lot of the general overall flavors of a good beer can, like, you know, work its way into the meat as you're cooking it. Especially if you're doing, like, a like a bigger like a bigger piece. Then you really want to, you know, make sure the pot's covered, get it, like, kind of ladle it back over as you go. But, ah. Yeah, a big favorite for uh, my family back home was always uh, doing the beer can chicken and stuff over the barbecue. Mm -hmm. Oh, fucking everybody there loves that. <laughs> it's, it becomes like a fight around the dinner table for who gets like the the most out of it, right? But big big tip, if you're experimenting with beer can chickens for like the first time, don't try drinking the beer that's left in the beer can <laughs> or whatever <laughs> you get. It is the flattest shit possible. Oh, I bet. It is like... 
there's it's it's one of those ones where you're like i wonder what it would be like and it's just it's like it's as if you had left out a, a can of beer for about a week and it hasn't gone bad okay Oof. but oh, yeah, it's all the just goodness is cooked flat out of it. and toneless Ugh. yeah it's definitely not what you would like because yeah I, I can imagine what that initial thought would be that would lead you to that of thinking like oh yeah it's you know it's gonna taste kind of like chicken. It's still just, it's gonna be like nice beer mixed in with that, right? Kind of the same way that the chicken becomes with the beer. But it's uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, <laughs> that's I could see that definitely not being the reality of it. And uh, yeah, it doesn't sound appealing. Uh, well, how's your uh, how's your week been, Stu? How you been doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, it's been a real fun week uh, for me because I got myself uh, Yakuza oh, Seven yes. or Yakuza oh, Like a Dragon. Okay. <laughs> I've been watching yeah. you play in that. I got to get back <laughs> on playing Zero actually. Mm. So I wanted to, actually I wanted to ask you how far are you uh, in Zero? Um, last time I played, which was a little while back, because I've been switching off on a few different games here lately, but I, I will definitely be getting back to Zero because I went and bought. Um, Oh shit! I forget what they're called now, but it's the the remakes of Yakuza One and Yakuza Two. Um, Kiwami One and Two. Yeah, 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 the, yeah right. The Kiwami games because I uh, I wanted to be able to as soon as I finish with Zero, just keep going through and, and keep working my way through more Yakuza. But uh, mm. uh, in Zero, I I just wrapped up the first section with Majima and uh, was ah, getting back great. into uh, uh, Kiryu with. Uh, going in and uh, him starting to work for uh, Tachibana Real Estate. Yep. It's a, I I am a pretty firm believer that Majima's character introduction is like probably the strongest character introduction I've seen in a video game. Oh yeah. Just like the the entire scene, the build up to it, like all, all the style that goes into it and like, Oh, it's so good. No, 100%. I was sucked right in during that (laughs) when it opens up into the, uh, cause it really, it really highlights like kind of the shift where it's, it just kind of like, okay, yeah, we're done with Kiryu for a little bit. And it's like, oh, now we're in Sokka. Or, Sokka. <laughs> <laughs> we're in Osaka, sorry. Uh, coming in in, like, Dothenburi. And uh, it's basically just dropping you right into this, like, cabaret club. And, you know, you see the the buddy getting all rowdy and stuff. And you, you kind of expect that, you know, he's going to come in and beat him up and, and teach him a lesson. But, excuse me he handles it with such like style and grace and everything through that whole scene and it's uh no it was rad the only thing that sucked for me was uh n- nothing with the scene but uh it was just when i finally got control of majima to fight the guy i kept fucking up some of the inputs and it, it, <laughs> it kind of took away from how smooth it was all supposed to feel because you're like oh man this guy's so cool he's so calm and collected he's like he's a badass without having to throw a punch now i just gotta hit these input oh no oh i get in my ass beat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and then all i can think is like yeah some people just watch this dude get punched around and they're still acting super impressed like you just fucking like didn't get hit the whole time but that's yeah one of the most important things about the yak as a series in general that like as uh, in its style of action games and it it continues even more so in uh, like a dragon is that like the fiction of what happens in the fight doesn't actually happen it's like uh, anything that happens in the fight even like little cutscenes in the fight don't actually occur in real life there's like always this like split of fight like a cutscene ends fight starts the the fight happens and then the cutscene begins for the end of the fight 
and it's as if like there's just like this weird time lapse where something slightly different has happened and it's usually the protagonist has done like a perfect fight oh yeah no it's i can definitely see that although there there are instances where what you are doing as like player inputs does get reflected on like responses in the mm-hmm. game because i know what around the start of zero when you're first playing as kiryu at the more towards the beginning um I'm forgetting his name, but that other like uh, like really close buddy of his that he grew up with uh, in the orphanage. Um, oh yeah, Nishki. Nishki, yes. Um, you go with him to the uh, the karaoke club. I fucking whiffed the all the inputs that you need to do for that fucking <laughs> rhythm mini game. And after that, he's like shit talking <laughs> me. Like, oh man, you're fucking. Uh, yeah, don't worry, you'll get better. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Is this on the old game? Like- or? So, um, Yakuza 0 is a bit more recent. I don't remember how many years ago it was since it came out, but it was uh, done as like a prologue to the first Yakuza game, which was actually on the PS2. Um, mm-hmm. It's a decently, like, not a super old franchise, but I mean, like, PS2 is a while ago now. Um, it was a fairly early game on the PS2. Oh, like, yeah, it was true. It was um it was kind of meant to be a bit of like a in a weird way the way it was marketed over here it was meant to be kind of like a GTA killer and that's kind oh, okay. of where they they messed up big time <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, trying to market it to people because Yakuza cannot be anymore like there is crime that's about as as that's about as close as you can come to GTA in a comparison between the two but see uh, but yeah like oh yeah go on sorry. Oh, I was going to say, like, it was, like, 2014 or 15, I want to say, for Yakuza 0. Um, and, yeah, it was kind of... They had done, like, one through... Yakuza's 1 through 5 and, and this, you know, your your side games, a couple of ones on the PSP. Um, a weird shoot 'em up called Dead Souls. Huh. Um, yeah, which is... Um, basically, all the main all the main characters of the Yakuza series uh, fighting zombies with guns. That is apparently, like... Apparently a very, very bad game but you know it's still got a, a soft spot in some people's hearts <laughs> but yeah Yakuza zero is kind of like big prequel first time you get to play as like a uh, goro majima who's been kind of like a big figure in the rest of the games um kind of but yeah it's it kind of meant to give you a really good proper intro to the series because yakuza one while it wasn't the ps2 like is very very and even Kiwami one is very very different from how like the rest of the series turns out like tonally and gameplay wise. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, but cool nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's it's a very cool but very off the wall series because yeah, it's because um, yeah when I was mentioning Kiwami one and Kiwami two, there bees those are um, like updated remakes they put out. I don't think too long after Yakuza zero uh, that were basically like updated like remaster re-releases of um uh yakuza 1 and yakuza 2 basically mm-hmm. um but yeah like i think i mean they're, they're very different games so like yeah like definitely that comparison between like gta and yakuza is it's not really there like there's not really a lot of comparisons you could draw but i think where i'm mm-hmm. at now i don't know there's a part of me that has found myself kind of 
I think I've been preferring overall like Yakuza as an experience to like what GTA is, at least anyways. Like, there's a lot of things I really like about the GTA series and it goes beyond just, you know, what, what most like the, the average gamer quote unquote likes about GTA in terms of just like the running around blowing shit up and the chaos with it. Like I like the stories that they have in it and like Red Dead, especially like especially the first Red Dead. I haven't really played Red Dead too, mind you. Like that had like a really great storyline in it, and it was a really great mm. time. But um, I really like how dense Yakuza feels by comparison because it does have an open world quality to it. But you're in a much smaller area, but it feels a lot more down to earth. It feels a lot more like realistic in a way, and yeah, in a lot better. of ways that it doesn't really need to. Yeah, so B, if you can, if you can like, like you know the scope of like a GTA game where it's it's usually like a big city and some like outskirts or maybe like a couple of like suburbs. It's like a pretty big area. But, yeah, you like, get to like run around and like do whatever. Like Big B, uh, Big B said earlier, you could just uh, blow shit up, like rob banks, do whatever really. Yep, and in Yakuza, you're kind of uh, all the main locations in the Yakuza games are usually like kind of. Like anywhere from like six by six to ten by ten city blocks, and it's usually like the core of a downtown or a nightlife district, and so you end up with like these just like really visually dense environments okay. that are pretty that are in some cases like one to one with some of the actual like actual like um, neighborhoods they're based off of in like Osaka and Tokyo, um, and like you'll get really fun stuff like going oh hey that's like a that's like a boss coffee ad just on a big old billboard because like they they advertise tons of food and yeah. and drinks in their game. I found it really cool and I like went into this like department store they have there and it's a Don Quixote store, which okay. is yep. a real like department store chain that exists in Japan. And you can just go into one that's in the game and it's pretty to scale and pretty realistically when you go in it plays like the Don Quixote theme song, which is famously what plays in these actual stores. And you can go in and buy items from them. And okay. a couple of the items you can buy are cans of Sprite and Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It's like they got like tons of stuff like um, a kind of a, two of the big series standbys are like actual Boss Coffee and CC Lemon, which are both uh, drinks yeah. you can get from a lot of vending machines. And my one of my favorite things in Yakuza games are um, there's a lot of attention paid to bars in these games. Um, and depending on which game you play, there's a varying level of descriptive text for whiskeys that your character drinks. Oh, yes. Okay. I have noticed that with some of the, the alcohol things and some of the other venues mm -hmm. I've been at. A lot of times, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times, like, I think it was, like, five... I think five, if I remember correctly, had, like, the most where it had, like, several paragraphs of text about, like, the or Oh, the origin of the whiskey, where it's brewed. Like, the, the main notes to its taste and its smell. And it's just, like... I'm fairly certain that, like... Either they're getting paid for this or they aren't, and like a bunch of people on the staff are just kind of like whiskey aficionados. See, that's the thing because playing through some of these games, like, or well, I shouldn't say some of them. Well, okay, I, I was gonna say not and, some of them. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure some of them that, that it does is, or holy fucking shit, the alcohol's already fucking getting to me. I haven't <laughs> had that much to drink, I haven't eaten in a while either, though, so that's probably part of it. Um, <laughs> This is going to be yeah, a fun now, episode. Now <laughs> just be careful, because when you're drunk, like, well, like in real life, when you're drunk in the Yakuza games, you have a higher chance of a random encounter with bad guys. So. <laughs> See, okay, I'm getting on so many tangents here. Let me try to, like, keep focus a little bit. All so, right, 
One thing I find interesting, because on that note of talking about all the realism with the drinks, is like some of the points of like going through that game feel like it's almost like a travel agency is like, oh yeah, here's like real shit about like this place. And it's like trying to almost like sell me on the location a bit. Like it's like I'm going through like Dotenburi and fucking Osaka and it's like, oh yeah, here's like this real restaurant that's here. Like, oh, it's like a staple of this place. And oh man, the takoyaki, like it's, it's the, like what's known for in this area. And I'm like, fuck man, like. I want to go to Osaka. That's the whole other side thing. I was looking at like shit about Osaka today. Actually, funny <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, there's a real love for for the places that like oh, that yeah. they they put these games in. Like, and even if like a, a lot of them aren't one to one, like I, I'm fairly certain that they probably don't have the license or probably haven't made deals with like all the different restaurants but i bet if you go i bet if you went to osaka you would be able to find that one restaurant across the river that has this big crab on the front yep, of it 100 percent. i've like, seen pictures actually i was looking at pictures of it today and also when you cross that bridge and there's the big uh well it's a little bit different in yakuza zero because yakuza zero is set in the 80s as opposed to like what mm-hmm. would be modern day but there's the the big um ad of the the glyco man in on the the fucking uh the big oh, ad yeah. with the dude like i think in the yakuza series like a dude drinking beer but in like modern day it's like a dude just like running on something or something like that but like that's like all like legit and like right to to accurate of like what is in dotenburi i don't know if they call it dotenburi in the game because i know in the tokyo they location Sochenburi. they call uh kamarocho in the yakuza series but i think it's something else in real life I forget what was actually called um yeah they call it's like uh, Dogenbury is actually, if I'm getting this correct, it's actually Sochenbury. Oh, okay, yeah. So he just flipped it a little bit there. And, like, the, the general district that, like, Kamarocho is in exists, but it's called something different as well. Yeah, yeah and I'm, all, I'm also blanking on that. Yeah. Um, uh, these actual yeah, places like, in love... Japan? Or... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the the locate like the physical locations themselves like those those totally here. Let exist. me. I'm gonna bring up on my phone for bees. I'm gonna look up a picture of uh, Dotenburi. But as I do that, um, like that's another thing I really like about the Yakuza games that really adds to like the Japanese feel that it has. But it's like because the the way combat works, bees in the game, it's not quite like uh, like GTA where you're like either like punching dudes, you have like a baseball bat, and you're fighting, or you like have yeah. like a gun or something like that. And it's just you know you're just fighting whenever you run into it battles happen in like a, a specific battle system that it has that oh, feels okay. more like a like a like a 3d version of like a side-scrolling beat-em-up almost but okay uh in the way that you have like you know different like button inputs and you can do like combos and stuff to a certain degree combat style so like oh yeah you're, you're kind of like your style switching like a i guess like a um uh devil may cry you know in some ways but like it's like a little more limited, but yeah, like the battles are kind of set in in the world, and there's like, like you'll be running by some people, and they'll get like a Metal Gear style pop up above their heads, yeah, and then they'll okay. kind of go at you. But it, it, it's cool. it's almost like a JRPG, and like, oh, I'm just in a random encounter battle now, and it's just oh, like, okay. okay, now I'm fighting these dudes. Man, it's it's neat. It's got a very weird feel, but it's it's a, a vibe that I enjoy. Um, okay, yeah, so I got pictures up here now. So, like, this is, like, what, um, like, Dotenburi is like in Osaka. Um, let me see if I can find some more pictures A lot of, uh, uh, what's it called? LED billboards. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, all LED billboards. Yeah, it's like, 
big fluorescent billboards everywhere because a the 80s and b like big night well location. some of these images i think are more even recent than that but like here's like another one like this big like squid sign above oh, okay, there yeah. and stuff like that just a lot of a uh, three-dimensional uh like works of art i guess yeah, well, it's because it's such a, uh, a dense area with so many different places, like especially in Osaka, because Osaka is really well known for like their their food and oh, okay. uh, the stuff there. Like they're really well known for like takoyaki and uh, like okonomiyaki and uh, fuck, there's something else like fried tempura on a stick. Basically, mm. I forget what it was called. Um, I was reading an article about this today, actually. Like I, I mentioned, I was reading up on some stuff, and uh, it was like some travel guide thing from like New York Times or something like that. Some guy who was uh, had gone to Osaka, like, oh yeah, here's like all the eats you can get for like you know on a budget here and stuff like that. And interesting experiences he had with it. Okay, and it was it was neat, but uh, <laughs> it was interesting too because he was talking about how like there's I guess kind of like a almost like a sort of rivalry between uh, Tokyo and uh, Osaka for for what they kind of have going on in terms of like. Uh, entertainment and tourism and stuff like that and, and food and whatnot and uh because you have uh yeah, which tokyo which is in which the totally and, yeah yeah which totally extends into the the storyline of yakuza in like the oh, in yeah. kind of the, the the feuding like the feuding uh yakuza clans of like uh, the omi alliance and the tojo clan so like right. that yeah it's it's it is like it is such a it is such a, like a game of of its place where like they they take it so many so many cues from like the real from like the real world for the design and like and again having that like more constrained space to an open world where like you can run from corner to corner of the map in under a couple of minutes like it's not a huge space but it's just like it's so tightly packed with like shops and mini games and like these random encounters it's like actually one thing i'll mention for bees you can actually go into uh these real like well i don't think they exist anymore because i think they actually very recently like actually closed down but uh for a long time they've been open these actual like uh because the the yakuza games are published by sega uh, Mm. or or maybe Mm -hmm. developed also by sega but at least published um that are like these real sega arcades that exist in tokyo uh, in this, okay. this district that Camarocho, as it's called in the Yakuza games, is based on, um, that you can go in and play, like, games in there. Like, you can go in there and play... Um, oh, my God. I'm for, I'm blanking on it now. I think I talked like about out, it. One other... Outrun and, like, ver- and uh, at least in the in the latest games, it's, like, kind of the only way to, for people to play Virtua Fighter outside of, like, an arcade. Really? Is in the, is in the Yakuza games. Yeah, like... I think it's Virtua. Uh, I haven't played it yet in in, uh, in seven, but I think like it's got Virtual Fighter five in it. Like it, it's got like all, all the games have like actual like Sega arcades because yeah, it is. It is produced. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's produced by Sega, made by uh, RPG Studio. So like yeah, you get all these like you get all these like actual Sega arcades in the game. Where in I think they're approximate locations, and just go in and be like. Oh yeah, I'll play some uh, some Space Harrier for a while. Space Harrier, that was the game I was trying to fucking think of. Thank you. <laughs> oh yep. And then like, oh, I'll play this terrible claw game to get like get like little little figure little figurines. Okay. Oh, I love the old yeah. claw games. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's there's like a stupid number of like collectible things you can collect in claw games in that game that okay. don't serve a ton of purpose. Although though I know in Yakuza Zero there's the whole storyline with the the girl who's like trying to collect them, and I, I went through that, which was kind of neat. That's a whole other thing yeah. with the Yakuza games is like there's all these like side quest stories that go on, and like they get 
they get so like randomly deep and like surprisingly like emotional with like what's going yeah. on out of nowhere. Um, because my favorite and they get one real goofy at times. Oh, oh, they absolutely get goofy for sure. But like one of my favorite ones from it was uh, this one where there's like you run into this kid initially who's like waiting in line outside of a store looking to buy a new game release that's coming out. And yeah, the not not Dragon Quest. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> and you go and talk to him. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm really excited. And I, I love the tongue-in-cheekness, too. Kira's like, wow, people waiting outside, standing in line for a game release. Man, this is crazy times. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's it's great. But um, you then have, uh, you basically come back and you find out, you see, like, the kid getting the game, like, snatched from him by some teenager. So you, like, you go and confront the teenager and he's making, like, a bunch of RPG references at you. Like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, like, uh, grind you for experience or whatever or some shit as you go to fight him. And then you beat him up and then he's like, oh, well, some other dude took it. Then you go and, like, talk to him and he's like, it's like some, uh, like, uh, like Yakuza Goomba or like Gang Goomba, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna fucking stomp you because Goomba from Mario, right?" Oh, uh, okay. And like, it's all these references until you get up to this last guy, and he's like, "Well, I'm trying to fucking get the game for my kid because he really wants this game and whatever." And some like Yakuza tough, and you beat him up, and he's like, "Oh man, I shouldn't be like trying to steal things for my son. Like that's not cool." And then the <laughs> kid you're like stealing the game from is like, he comes up, and it turns out that that kid is like the dude's son. He, he was trying to get yep. the game for because the son really oh, wanted. Okay. And he's like, I gotta set a better, better example for my son. And it's like becomes like super emotional and super real. And it's like, man, this is getting like it's well written too. Like it's not bad. It's just it's so like random with it, but it's uh it's really good. Like the the Yakuza main storyline is is kind of like deep crime thriller with like a oh, huge yeah. dash of like of like big drama to it oh yeah like, you're talking like like almost melodrama <laughs> oh yeah like like you got, you got a lot of like grown-ass yakuza men talking about like talking about like like brotherhood and family and like you get these big emotional scenes and then you get stuff like oh and then the side quests go into like also like can get pretty emotional and get pretty damn goofy um i i would if you don't run into it naturally you really need to find the quest how to train your dominatrix. Oh, I found and did that one as well. That was a nice. The only thing I found really weird and like <laughs> it was funny, but it was kind of weird was like that you go to like a children's park to like help her yeah. like train to like learn how to do it and these kids come up and they're like what are you guys doing it's like uh are you playing a game that looks fun <laughs> as the character of kiryu kazuma who's basically a gigantic like a gigantic like man probably made it physically and spiritually out of stone <laughs> i fucking um, love kiryu though <laughs> he's great he's like the old boy of all old boys and so like the basic storyline of the psych was is that like you're you run into this dominatrix who's actually pretty bad at her job and like one of her customers is complaining that like she's not being strict she's apologizing it's like it's it's the the kink isn't working so she and kiryu go to like a children's park to like do role play to try to get her more into her job and yeah a trio of kids come up and like hey what are you guys doing <laughs> i love the, the that's a whole rolling trend through the game too so many people like for for some odd reason, despite how like stone faced and stoic like Kiryu is, they're like, oh, you'd be perfect for this like random thing, like, oh yeah, you'd be perfect as like a producer for like a TV production, 
and it becomes this whole heartfelt thing about how like TV can like change people's lives and make people's lives better and like enrich the, and like enrich their uh like their day to day experience. It's like what the fuck, but it's it's great. I love it and like even the the melodrama of like the core plot. Like I fucking eat that shit up. It's great. Oh yeah, like the and it's it, it's like this weird thing of like oh yeah you're gonna do the side quest with the dominatrix you're gonna do the side quest about running around and getting this like kids video game and then like oh like main quest you're watching like a dude like chop his finger off because he disgraced his yakuza yeah. clan it's like it's there's a pretty wide breath so the the really funny thing I want to mention about yakuza seven um because it is a departure for the series and we won't do I've the heard entire it's a bit different. It, Oh, it's totally different. So we won't do like the entire podcast just on Yak. We could, <laughs> but we can break off the series. We've already I definitely so. done I can't about... relate to this at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to try and change subjects a bit because I could just see the look on Beast's face as we're recording. He's just like lost. He's like a man lost yeah, in the I jungle. Like I don't know what the fuck's going on. Never played yeah. it. So I, I was going to take like like five minutes just to give like the the big old cliffs notes on uh, the new Yakuza. So it's got. A new protagonist, so it's it's not Kiryu anymore. It's not Majima, um, and you're playing a guy um, who, in fiction, is a massive Dragon Quest fan. <laughs> and the game is just switched okay. from like an action beat 'em up to a JRPG. I've heard there was something about where there's like four different party members. I've seen stuff on Twitter, and like one dude can just straight up use magic and shit. And I was like, what the fuck is going on with the Akuza? But at the same time, like. Yeah with everything we've talked about, it's pretty out there as it is. So I wasn't that shocked either, but like, I was surprised to see it was going that like out there with it almost. And the thing is it, it totally works. And like the, in the fiction of it without giving away story stuff, like this guy is such a fan of dragon quest that like in the fiction, when battles are happening, he is like internally parsing it as a JRPG battle. Oh my God. So there's like, there's like a street fight breaking out where he, where him and his friends, all your other party members, are having a big old street brawl. But the actual mechanics of the game are turn-based JRPG combat, huh. and you, there's like a job system, so you can get all your different characters okay. going on different jobs. And you'll be like, okay, so um, what is like? Okay, so you have the like, oh, your character, like your main character is very charismatic, um, and is like able to pump people up. So like has a to like do an ability that will buff everyone's attack um and th- and then like you have a character who's an ex-nurse like a, ho- a homeless guy who's an ex-nurse um whose uh main healing ability for the party members um is like healing powder and he just kind of like crouches into a squat and spreads his hands out and there's like a slight like glitter on the screen and <laughs> heals people it's, yeah like wow so yeah they, they've they've done a big shift in the series and but for me at least as, as, as like a long time fan of it like it totally works oh yeah it sounds um, great yeah. at least from where i'm sitting but um yeah yeah they got a lot of game to go before you get even close to yakuza 7 <laughs> yeah sometimes you gotta uh take the franchise and like spin it on its head a little to keep it fresh keep the fans interested oh yeah and they've been they've been playing with like the kiryu for for so long that there was they had by the time they got to six, they like there were parts of storylines that they had been repeating because a huge portion of Kiryu is about like kind of like his personal family, and that's inside and outside of like the Yakuza. Um, 
and they they definitely they mine that for for all of its worth through, through all the games so like getting a new character and getting a new protagonist like and a new battle system like nice and fresh uh and the localization is just spot on it's super good i guess that's the thing i guess there's like i would imagine growing recognition for the fact that like there's actually like an audience for these kinds of games outside of japan which for a long time really wasn't the case like japan is always really regarded like the west as like eh you know <laughs> very secondary you know like they don't really get our ways and how we make games and like how games really are you know like it's we don't need to put to put persona on the pc we're just gonna <laughs> leave all that money on the table well exactly well, it's it's a very foolish choice and i i hope that they're they're kind of changing their mind with at least in terms of the persona series like with persona 4 golden's release on pc yep. like i'm sure they've made tons of fucking money from that and i hope that they're kind of realizing and i i think japan in a lot of ways is starting to like they're the big game companies there are starting to kind of like wake up to like the reality of that because actually and that's the thing too like um the whole Soul series, actually, they owe a lot to the West for, like, and from software for that, because it was a lot of uh, the Western side and, like, streamers and stuff that actually made uh, Demon Souls, like, become, like, the cult classic that it is. And that was a lot of what drove uh, it to become what it was, and that was essentially what allowed, Demon, like, Dark Souls to become a thing. Because it flopped hard in Japan uh, when it first came out. Dark Souls um, or Demon Souls? Demon Souls. Because mm. um, Sony didn't really have a lot of faith in it, and neither did FromSoft's like, higher-ups at the time, really. Because, um, excuse me, Miyazaki was basically uh, given a chance to run it. And because of the difficulty and everything else, they were just like, eh, I don't know if this is really going to work out. And then Bandai, they were like, oh, hey, like something's actually happening here. Like We'll, we'll localize it for the West and stuff. And then it became a pretty big cult classic, and then they got the chance to do Dark Souls, and then it fucking blew up, of course, oh, right? okay. as, as everyone knows. Which is actually, funny enough, why Bloodborne is the thing, because Bloodborne basically exists because Sony was like, hey, we want our exclusive Souls game again to be able to have that, which is also why, of course, we're getting the remaster for Demon's Souls on PS5 and everything, because they're, oh, okay. they're trying to capitalize on it in a way that none of the other consoles get to play, right? They can have their own exclusive version of it that everybody wants to be on board with, and it can help drive console sales, so... Well, I feel like that's one of the reasons why uh, what uh, Stu was saying earlier about Persona 5, or just Persona in general, being only on this uh, PlayStation... It's probably just a Sony thing, like, just keeping it there. Well... Not allowing them to put it on PC. So, Persona is... Apparently, I'm sure. There, there's definitely been a long time, kind of, like, backwards view of, like, how the West treats, like, Japanese games. Because, um... The first Final Fantasy game to come out, I think, was... Or, not, not the first one, but, like, one of the, the earliest ones was, like, that Mystic Quest or something like that. And it was, like, this really dumbed-down, like, version of Final Fantasy. Like, really, really basic oh, to a okay. point where, like, it wasn't really that good a game. And it was basically because, like, they viewed, like, oh, the Westerners, they're not smart enough to really, like, handle a true <laughs> JRPG. Like, they, did, they didn't really have faith in us to, to manage it. So that was essentially how it kind of got treated for a long time outside of, you know, companies like Nintendo, I guess, to, to an extent. But, um... Yeah, there's always been a big thing. And I mean, that's part of the problem that you have is there, there is, like, to be fair, a really big cultural divide between, like, 
things in Japan versus things here in like oh, North yeah, America. Sure. But it's one of the things that I like, find is so good. Like, and not the not the crowbar in yakuza again, but it's something that like I really <laughs> appreciated in the in, in these games. Like, because I I remember I got I got yakuza three on the PS3 from like an EB Games randomly that just had it on a shelf, and neither I nor the guy there really knew what it was. But like as like as I played through those games and being able to get like experience like both bad and really good localization through the series like e- even with a lot of cult even with a lot of cultural differences and a lot of like a lot of differences like on just how like how like people people in the like east and west like consume content and games and such like having really good localization having a lot of care put into like especially in the case of a yakuza explaining things that are happening and <laughs> giving you giving you a look in at like okay this is why this like this is why this subquest is happening like like kind of like in general there be like more good translations more more games kind of moving back and forth but yeah i was thinking the, the demon soul thing i i wasn't really sold on getting a new console and like the more i've sat and thought about the demon souls remake the more i'm just like I think I'll just check the Best Buy or the <laughs> Source, or I'll just check. Did I have anything? No, like, there's going to be like no PS5s for a while. But it definitely, it definitely got me a little bit the the exclusivity of uh, of New Demon Souls. Oh yeah. Well, that was the thing because I was never big into like a lot of the Souls games and stuff. Like I, I've been trying to get into playing more of Bloodborne on uh, boyfriend's PS4 and stuff because I I really like the aesthetic and the style of Bloodborne and uh, especially how much it borrows from like Lovecraftian uh, uh, horror and stuff like that. But um, way back before even Dark Souls One had come out, I had gotten Demon Souls on the PS3. And I didn't get super into it because, of course, it's a hard-ass game. But I really enjoyed like what I played of it, and the the, the limited distance in the game I could get, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like I bored. Um, like I, I remember getting it from a friend who kind of like talked about it like it was like kind of introduced it to me and talked about it like it was like this weird, rare thing. Like it was kind of like. A bit of a throwback to back in the day when I was a kid, and it was like, "Oh, you really need to play this game." And someone hands you an SNES cartridge, um, <laughs> or like an N64 cartridge, and like, I remember getting it and have and being told, "Like, okay, you can hold on to it for three weeks, and I need to give it to someone else." And like playing it for three weeks, going like, "I have no, like this game is so obtuse. I have like next to no idea about like how any of the mechanics yeah. work. Like, it's it's a very from software move to not explain anything that's happening." Oh. <laughs> oh yeah story-wise or mechanics to be like hey what does this what does this stat do and it'll give you like a one-line description that doesn't actually say anything about the stats like okay cool um i guess i'm gonna use a shield now okay now this weird skeleton's kicking my ass but like like there was some, even back then even with as janky as that game was like there was something really cool about oh it. yeah well i mean that I mean the obtuseness is definitely a very from soft thing. Like I, Dingo and I are fans of and Dingo more so even than I are fans of like the Armored Core series, which was definitely what From Soft was known for um, before the Soul series began to be like a big thing, like it is. And yeah, that series is like especially like Armored Core From Answer, at least which is like the the oldest of the Armored Core games that I've played. 100% that obtuseness is there in full fucking force because there is so much they throw at you with so little explanation of 
anything. Um, with all the different customizations you can apply to like your mech and shit like that, but it's it's definitely out there. But uh, what about you, bees? What's uh like? What's the oldest game you've ever played? Like, what what did you like? What are some of your first video game experiences? Oh man, uh, that would be like NES, N sixty four. Really? What did you play on NES? Oh yeah, uh, Pokemon Stadium mostly, honestly. On uh, N- you mean oh, NES, 64. sorry. I'm thinking N64. NES, sorry. <laughs> Fuck. Um, NES, uh, I played Duck Hunt and uh, the uh, Super Mario. Okay. Mostly those two games, yeah. That's fair. Well, I was intrigued by that because there's not a lot of people from our generation because Stu, I'll, I'll mention, I won't I won't go into the specifics, but he's a, a little bit older than, than you and I are. Um, but like our, because you and I are... We're only one year apart. Yeah, we're we're only about a year apart. We're we're about the same generation. So there's not a lot of people from, like, our generation that have, like, grown up playing those games. But, like, my first consoles that I ever played were ones that my dad had, which were um, either the NES or the Atari 2600, actually. Mm. Um, Which is fucking rough to play (laughs) a little bit. But it it was neat. It was a cool experience back when I was, like, a little wee babby boy. But... uh, yeah, to, to think even about going back and playing that now is it, it Atari 2600, that's a little too old for me. But the NES, I had some good times with that because, like, I, I played that that same two pack game of uh, Super Mario Bros. and uh, Duck, Duck Hunt. Hunt. There was also, I uh, had a copy of Top Gun on the NES, also uh, oh. Mike Tyson's Punch It, which is a fucking classic. I know, I didn't play that game, but I know of it. Oh, uh, what man. a classic it is. Yeah. Uh, and then also the original Castlevania was another one I played a decent bit of. Although I that game was hard as fuck. So as a kid, I was I was having a rough time trying to <laughs> progress through that. But yeah, Castlevania is definitely on there on the games. It's like, oh, this is like a classic. I should try load up a ROM of it. Try playing it on like uh, like ZSNES <laughs> and going like I don't know what's happened. Like ah, I can't I can't beat it. I can't do anything. It and, is the older know. games are hard. They're my god, they were hard back in the day. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, one I remember trying to play back on... I didn't have this on the NES, uh, but I had gotten the NES like virtual console version of it on my Wii, which was the uh, Ninja Turtles game that used to be on the NES. Okay. That game... It's not a bad game, as some people will defend it, because a lot of people think it's a shit game. It's not a bad game. It's a really fucking hard game, though. <laughs> it's extremely punishing. Uh, like, they just throw a lot of fucking bullshit at you. And ah. it's... Yeah, I mean, it's an NES game, so it's not necessarily the easiest to, to handle. It's not the most intuitive, but it's... Oh, yeah, well, developers didn't really know how to balance games back in the day. They just, just kind of, like, put oh, stuff yeah. in and that's it they couldn't update it obviously well, well, even so. in some ways it's not even like about like how balanced they could make it back then they they i don't think in some ways they didn't even try to balance it because they they can only do so much on like with what limited memory they had and everything else and you can only get so much but at the same point it's like 
they were still pretty like pricey back in those days. Like not, oh, yeah. not, 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 I wouldn't say to the degree they are now. And obviously with inflation, there's, there's a change to that too. But like, you know, you're still dropping a bit of money on a game for like a home console back then. Hmm. And so it was kind of one of those things of like, Oh, let's extend, like we'll make it artificially difficult so that the player will spend more time playing it. Yeah, exactly. And they'll get more bang for their buck, but it's not necessarily that there's that much game really there. Right. Same thing with a lot of console, or not a console, fuck me, uh, arcade releases that are, like, trying to just, like, quarter munch, right? So, Yeah, I was going to say the arcade conundrum of, like, oh, hey, I'm having, like, a, like, you're playing one of the, any one of those, like, four-player, like, beat-em-ups. Like, oh, damn, what was the classic one where it's, like, um, had a bunch of, one of the characters was, was a dwarf. I remember playing it in, like, uh, arcades when I was a kid with friends, and it was always, like, just getting chewed up and spending like tons of money and quarters, just trying to just get back in there because the game's fun. You just you're just losing lives constantly. Yeah. What did you uh, What did you play on the N sixty four though? So you, you you started out with talking about Pokemon Stadium, yeah. which is one of the few ends. I, I never had an N sixty four. I had friends who had an N sixty four. So like I played a little bit of like Stadium, and you know I've seen some things like uh, some stuff from like. Uh, uh, Mario 64 and stuff like that but what else what else what other experiences did you have like what are some like hits for, for you from that era because that's like an era of gaming I don't have a lot of insight into it, it's honestly just mostly Mario and Pokemon like I never played any of the Zelda games on there it was really just like uh, every title of Mario that we could get and Pokemon really oh yeah what uh was that like the the first like instance of like really getting into video games for you or was there like because like, I guess for me like when I was really young like I had those instances of playing like NES and Atari Twenty Six Hundred like I talked about but I didn't really start to really get into video games until a good bit later because. I really kind of miss a lot of like the N64 PS2 era. It's a bit too young. My parents didn't really expose me to that stuff at that point, other than what video game stuff they already had. And I had like no knowledge or introduction really to the, well, that's not entirely true. I didn't have much introduction to the 60 bit era other than I had a friend back when I was living in uh, New Brunswick uh, who had a Genesis. Um, So I did play a little bit of Genesis stuff. So I had a little bit of exposure there, but I didn't really get it like really into games until uh, I got my GameCube actually during that generation of gaming, and okay. uh, that was the only console I had for a long time up until I had actually first moved to Manitoba after leaving New Brunswick, and my parents had finally gotten me a PS2, and that was like towards like the end of like the PS2's life cycle. Like I had a PS2, you two three years before the ps3 came out oh really so like it was oh, it was PS2 getting pretty late in the the life cycle yeah it was uh it, it was pretty late into that there so that was like a whole other like world of like that opening up too right and of uh all the exclusives and stuff that were on that system but um yeah like what, what were some like what was the point where you really started to shift into like getting really into video games and stuff I guess for me, uh, it'd be PS1. Uh, I had a lot of uh, Spider-Man games, uh, oh, yeah. demo discs. Oh, demo discs. Oh, man. That's demo holy discs. shit. I loved demo so, discs. So I had uh, a grandparent who fucking, uh, they got me a subscription to, they have a Nintendo Power subscription for me actually for a while too, which is really cool. I unfortunately don't have any of those issues anymore, but I wish I fucking kept them because I actually would have been a really cool collector's item to have now. But I also had, uh, they had a 
the subscription for me for PlayStation Magazine. I think I actually still have all these, these old PS2 demo discs. Nice. Of like a bunch of different ones. I think I have a demo for Shadow of the Colossus, I have a demo for Souls Caliber. Souls Caliber. Fuck me, the alcohol is hitting me hard here. I'm on my third fucking Souls Caliber. Soul, yeah. Soul <laughs> Caliber. Soul Caliber 3, which is a dope fucking game. Because uh, the first one introduced character customization. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like the, a lot of cool shit. Man, that's such a fucking nostalgia I, I still have all my demo discs in my PS1 games, but because I was a kid, I didn't take care of them. Like, I didn't put them oh, back in the case. Yeah. I stacked them on top of each other, so they're scratched to shit. Scratched to hell. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I had, like, oh, this Yu-Gi-Oh game I loved so much. Uh, <laughs> I had, what's this man. called? Twisted Metal. Oh, fuck. Oh, Twisted Don't get Metal. Me started Twisted Metal on that game. is a classic. 100%. Uh, well, another. Oh my God! You, this is a probably an underground classic, but a game called Mort the Chicken. Mort the Chick. Okay, you're gonna have to explain Mort the Chicken for oh, me because that's not one I've ever heard of either. It's like this. Uh, oh, I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, linear style game, like you know that mobile game, not mobile game, playing a game you play in school, like. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's just this, like a uh, linear course runner, huh. and you just try to dodge stuff and just get to like the end of the game. Uh, oh man, it was just such a interesting time, <laughs> especially because like more the chicken obviously doesn't really not exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking uh, at pictures of the cover image on google right that's now that's a great cover <laughs> yeah well and the funny thing that i find with it is that i've seen at least i feel like i've seen at least a couple of uh images of uh like thumbnails from youtube of like fuck this game <laughs> <laughs> that's fair so well i i feel bad it's like man this is a game i have a lot of nostalgia for <laughs> so many people being angry at it but oh it I was mean, a rage inducing game because oh, like sure. it was one of those games where it's like there were no saves uh you try to beat the game in like one go and there's oh, like God. i want to say 10 levels and mm. i want to say like three lives you're done go back to level one well aside from like some of the really big classics that's a really rough era for gaming because like that's when people were just like Okay, let's figure out how to make games in the third dimension. And yeah. a lot of people struggled. Um, and like 90% of any game that had anything to do with like an actual property was just like pretty terrible. Yeah, no, it definitely happened. Uh, but the demo disc, the demo disc a age is an age that. Uh, That's a golden age. Like, Yep, because I remember when uh, a buddy of mine got a uh, got a PS2 like pretty close to launch, and we played like I think it was the 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 demo disc that came with the PS2, and like playing me like the intro to Metal Gear Solid 2 was just like like oh my god like <laughs> people's faces like like the people look so good like look at all this production you can see the rain drop and you can look at that ice melt on the counter when you knock the bucket over and it's like uh. <laughs> yeah, back like, in the day, that was like obviously it looks like shit now, but back in the day, just seeing that, oh, it was just such a a step up in terms of graphics. Oh yeah, no, oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, I still remember like um, first seeing like Shadow of the Colossus, which is always going to be like one of my all time favorite games. Um, 
that game is it's one of the few I could really consider like a masterpiece in gaming. It like that game looks fucking amazing. And I mean even still, like some of the graphics even on the PS2 version hold up pretty well. Like it's doesn't look as good now as it did then, but I mean I still remember playing it back when I first got to try it. I was absolutely blown away by how just the I mean, then that really goes to show, like, a game that really focuses on, like, aesthetic over, like, just sheer graphic realism. Like, it really adds a lot to the, like, how well that game will age. Like, uh, I forget who I was talking to about it recently, but uh, someone talking about, like, uh, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker holds up visually really well today because, even on the GameCube version of it, because obviously this is the HD, like, Wii U version of mm. the game, but... Like, even the GameCube version still holds up pretty well because they oh, yeah. focus so much on, like, a cel-shaded look. Like, a very a very stylized aesthetic that wasn't really based on, like, sheer, like, graphics quality, right? So... Yeah, when you compare it to something like, like, the, from the previous gen of, like, Ocarina of Time. Oh, yeah. Um, where, you look at, where you look at the two of them and, like, there is a clear aging difference in between... Like what's happening in Wind Waker and what's happening in Ocarina of Time, and even like I, I would say like Wind Waker looks really good in the, in comparison to even like Twilight Princess, which was like a, an even later game because like yeah, its art style was just so so well captured. And it's kind of similar to like what you're saying about Shadow of the Colossus because like the the big things about Shadow of the Colossus aren't like aren't just how good it looked at the time, but like how it does with how how it deals with scale and oh, yeah. like kind of like all these wonderful like swelling moments where like you're just really high up in the sky climbing this like all these colossi and just ah that game rules oh yeah well in the soundtrack even too like it's so talking about those like swelling moments like it adds so much because like the the soundtrack will shift like from when you're like on the ground to like when you're climbing this big giant like monster that you were like trying to like climb upon to like battle and like kill and it will change to this like really triumphant or like really just it, it, the music will shift in such a way to really signify of like oh no you you are like really in it now and it it, it just uh, I just really gets you in the moment like it's that soundtrack is such an amazing uh, a good soundtrack will really get you into almost any game I find oh, absolutely hundred percent well and I mean even coming back to like. Like, the Grand Theft Auto games and stuff. I mean, those games have, like, a great soundtrack. And, I mean, I'm not even just talking about how, like, the, the radio stations and stuff will be, like... You know, you'll get a lot of, like, cool the music. Like, real, world, real world music. Like, good hits that you can listen to. Um, the uh, the soundtrack... Like, the, the actual score, like, of GTA Five is actually really fucking good. Because uh, it's produced by... Um, the Alchemist and Oh No, who are two, like, really well-known, like... Uh, like rap producers and stuff like that, who are, they did do some okay. really good fucking shit. Um, like, oh no, is actually the brother of uh, Madlib, who's a really like legendary uh, like hip hop producer, really really talented. Um, and oh no, is really talented in his own right. And like that that game soundtrack is fucking rad as hell. And I mean, that's that's just like one other really good example too. But I mean, there's a lot, there's tons of examples of where like that kind of good soundtrack can really lend well to that experience. So yeah. What about, what about you, Stu? What was some of your like earliest experiences with gaming? Cause I'm sure yours go back like a little bit older than what it is for bees and I. Cause we, 
we're we're a little we're a little bit younger in, in comparison. So I imagine for you, it's it's definitely a bit. Well, I would imagine a bit further back, but I mean, I'm curious. So there's like there there's one which will will date me a little bit, but when I was a, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, the family got um one like a kind of a later generation apple II. Oh wow okay <laughs> yeah um and there's a very particular game uh, that was on the apple II uh called dark castle dark which castle. is like a side-scrolling adventure game and like it i it's because i remember playing it when i was a kid and i wasn't in when i was really little and i wasn't interested in anything that was happening the only thing that was that was captivating with that game to me was like all the weird sounds that the dude in the game made whenever he got hit by anything <laughs> or made a bad jump. And it's like, you just make these like wonderful sound effects for when he like, like actually ate shit jumping off of a ledge and then fell down a pit. And then like, we have this like great little animation. And we're talking like, we're talking like a 20 pixel guy. If, if that, and just like spinning around going whoa 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 and like uh, it was so good as a kid it was just like it's really like kind of a, a dark game overall because like it's you're in this like okay of course it's called dark castle and they're like oh there's like a dude with a whip like just torturing some dude in one part of the level but i don't care about that the bats are making funny noises <laughs> So that was like probably the first video game I kind of latched onto as a kid. But after that, like, um, didn't really get many video games um, in the house until right around the age when like the Sega Genesis and the uh, SNES were coming out. Because okay. um, like, you know, parents were both um, my parents were both teachers and like had had been kind of keeping their eye on the video game thing for a while. Um, and when it got to a point where me and my siblings were kind of, you know, being a bit insistent and, you know, asking about it and they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to put some time in on this, um, and really do, do a good bit of research and then try to figure out the best console for the kids. So there's a point where we had, uh, we rented a Sega Genesis for one weekend, uh, from the jumbo video in town. The inciting event was, there was like a big, uh, like fundraising drive at the school for like, um, I think it was. Oh, damn! What's the uh, the uh, the the charity that you would all that you kind of go around on Halloween with like the little boxes and get you get like change from folks? Might have been UNICEF, but um, so it was kind of like there was like a bit of a competition of like, hey, we're gonna like all, all the kids will kind of like help with this fundraising drive on Halloween and kind of bring everything back to the school, and then all the kids who like went past the threshold will be entered into a lottery and the winner would get a SNES. And I was so confident, so sure. And I didn't get that SNES. And so like a couple weekends later, parents rented a, a Sega Genesis. <laughs> and a couple weekends after that rented a super Nintendo. Um, and the kicker for what, uh, for what uh, console the family would end up getting was um, my brother, sister and I all playing, I think it was NHL 90. What was it? Oh, God, it was either 91 or 93 timeline's a bit fuzzy here um on the sega genesis and getting into a fight in the game and then just all of those kids roaring with laughter as like one of the characters on the ice just gets <laughs> plastered after the fight and there's like a little like pixelated spray of blood and i remember laughing at that and looking over at my dad who just kind of goes <laughs> <laughs> so we got an snes because the snes <laughs> didn't have more family friendly <laughs> <laughs> wow yep 
but yeah, like uh, a lot of a lot of my formative experiences of games probably come from that SNES era, like um, and like Zoo similarly would know a bunch of this because we play a lot of games as kids together, um, like Super Bases Loaded, Super Soccer, uh, Top Gear for the SNES. Um, wasn't super into Mario and Zelda until I was like until I was older. I think like I. Re- yeah, I really didn't get into them until like the like Super Mario sixty four and like, um, and uh, Ocarina of Time, but yeah, like playing a bunch of like just a general mix of like you know a lot of sports games, a lot of um, all sports games and like a lot of other stuff. And I remember there's I never really got into RPGs oh, until yeah. I was older because I remember there was a point again the Jumbo Video where I was looking for games to rent for the SNES, and I remember looking at a copy of Final Fantasy Final oh, okay, Fantasy yeah. 3, um, which was actually <laughs> 6, and I remember the, the the cover of it had, like, a Moogle on it, and I was like, if that's the main character, that game's stupid. That's stupid-looking main character. And, <laughs> like, not, and then not renting Final Fantasy uh, 3 slash 6, one of, like, probably one <laughs> wow. of the greatest games. Um because I was like, the cover looks See, dumb. Me. That's the thing I find funny. Because, well, for one, I I think the first time I ever saw the design of a Moogle was well, I actually quite enjoyed the the way they looked. Um, so I find that funny to an extent. My first time with like a JRPG style game was actually well, or even like a Zelda game was back on like the GameCube, right? Like when I had started getting into them, like I mentioned before. Because the first game I had on the GameCube when I first bought it. Which is really funny because I didn't have a memory card when I first got the GameCube, which of course you needed oh. back then to save like your your progress. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so I'd be playing like because this this it was the uh, this game that came with it that had like a bunch of old Zelda games bundled in along with a demo for Wind Waker. Oh, okay. Uh, but it had like the full game for uh, like Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and stuff that and uh, the old like NES Zelda games like. Um, the original Legend of Zelda, and then, like, uh, Zelda 2 Link's Adventure. Uh, so I have a lot of experience with those games, actually. Um, but I, I, that was, like, my experience of playing, like, Ocarina of Time and uh, and uh, Majora's Mask, especially, too, which I, I really got into. Because um, I really enjoyed, like, the mask mechanic and being able to change, you know, form and stuff like that through that. Because it was, it was cool. Um but I remember playing those games back then was like, oh, I, I can only get so far because, like, once I decide to stop playing, I'm just giving up all of my progress. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> no memory card. For a little while, that was, it was yeah. rough. But my first JRPG experience was actually with, um, I, I didn't go into it expecting to play, be playing a JRPG. It was a game called Custom Robo. Have either of you guys heard of that? No. Really, Never. I almost expect. I kind of have expected you to maybe no idea too, but um, man, okay, Custom Robo. Okay, first of all, you boys need to fucking play Custom Robo. <laughs> you just imagining you like straightening it up in your chair, putting your hands out like, okay, just palms up. That okay, was kind of what I did, Robo. except I more had fingers crossed, kind of like in front of me. But I, I straightened up. I'm like, no, okay. <laughs> You fuckers need to learn. <laughs> um, no, Custom Robo Sick. It's okay. It's the story probably isn't as good as I remember it. Like almost guaranteed, it's not. But it's uh, I I don't remember. I know this the history of it's a little weird because there's a lot of games I think for it that are like Japan exclusive that aren't in North America. But I think the one we got on GameCube was like the first one that got like localized. Um, 
I don't necessarily know all the history around that, but the, the battle system is tight as hell because the whole idea is that you basically are collecting parts as you're working your way through the game that you can use to build your, as of course, quote unquote from the title, a custom robo. So you have like your little robot dude who's like almost like a little like a, like a digital gunpla almost, like a, like a plastic uh, like Gundam figure almost. That you basically have all these different parts. You have like different uh, like left arm and right arm parts that each have like different weapon types you can equip and like shoulder equipped weapons. You can equip a different body type that has like the the core body that will define like how your dude moves and certain other little stats and bonuses that they have. Different legs that can give them like different mobility options okay. and shit. And then you basically go in on like a uh, like two to like four person match that could be like team based or like full like um like deathmatch type deal and you're in this little all these different little variable maps that you're just going around in in like 3d like battling each other with all kinds of different guns that have like different like firing arcs and stuff like that and different like you know deployable bombs and things that you can launch out and stuff okay. like that and it's man the degree of customization like it's pretty cool. There's a lot of different things to collect. Like it's basically a JRPG where you're running around and like talking to characters and this whole developing story and it you know, it'll end up in like almost like random encounter battles and stuff like that with certain opponents. It's it's a dope fucking game. <laughs> Highly recommend Custom Robo. Apparently it was a DS game for it as well, huh? Yes, I had that on the DS too, and that was also a tight game. Because <laughs> it was very similar to the one that was on GameCube, and I remember when I had my DS, I got that, because I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I love Custom Robo, and I enjoyed that one quite a bit too. Yeah, it's a franchise I highly recommend. You ever play much uh, JRPGs there, uh, Bees? Uh, or anything kind of like that? I'm not too sure, honestly. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh much into like the computer rpgs or like a more like modern style like bethesda or like <laughs> yeah the only well, like uh yeah that's uh <laughs> that would be skyrim he's uh, talking skyrim. <laughs> we have talked extensively on this podcast about skyrim <laughs> i mean um, i'm not gonna stop you from talking more about it now if you want to go oh, for yeah, it for a while there i was really into it uh that's really yeah the only rpg i've really gotten into yeah, just not really the biggest fan of I guess RPGs really, but yeah, Skyrim. Oh, I love so much. I've been uh, before uh, I've been getting back into Minecraft, but before that, I was playing the <laughs> shit out of Skyrim. Well, Minecraft is uh, I definitely can't blame you for that because you've been playing on Minecraft server. I I went and bought for you and my boyfriend and I and some other people <laughs> that we know. So that's been a, a whole thing. Um, Actually, I think JC might be getting on that with us here soon as well, actually, um, now that I think about it. but Skyrim's um, a good one to go back to, I'd say, because yeah. like, Skyrim has that critical mass of like people who have played it and like work put into it on like, the modding scene, where it's like, you can probably go in there and get a bunch of mods on like a PC version of Skyrim that makes it look super good these days from like Nexus mods or something. Oh yeah, the modding community is still like going strong for that game. Like nine years after that. its release, I yeah. think we talked about that a bunch on our first episode with Dingo. I, actually, I, yeah, I think too. we did. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm currently I'm paused in the but process, yeah. but I was doing um for this year like uh, there's a podcast I'm listening to that that was doing kind of their own run through of all the Fallout games, so I decided to do a playthrough of that and like. 
three um, onwards being oh, okay. made in a lot in like kind of Bethesda's own systems. Like those Fallout three, New Vegas, and four also have like a ton of mod support, and like, like, I oh, like yeah. I met, like just putting it was weird playing because I hadn't played Fallout three until like since I first played it on I think the three sixty, um, and like playing it again with just a ton of mods put into it, just going like. This is this is not the game I remember, but I'm having a great time. Mm. Well, I played a ton of Pitfall Three on the PS3, and uh, same with New Vegas too. And then I got those games on PC along with Fallout Four too. Like th- those games, those three games, like I've modded and played like a bunch of with mods. And yeah, it's it's wild just how far you can take the experience to like, and how far away from like the the original experience you can take it. It's yeah, modding is such a cool aspect, and I wish it was something that was more available on consoles. Yeah, Bethesda had their attempt at that. Where what do they call it? They had the they had kind of like the, the yeah they tried to put in the Bethesda like mod launcher for Skyrim and potentially Fallout Four, and they had no system. I remember they they had like no system in place for if someone because it was going to be like a paid for system like you could pay you could pay to get certain mods, and people threw up the red flag immediately going there's no way for us to say hey this guy just took my mod and put it on your store like ugh. yeah oh, okay well there's a bunch of issues well i mean that's the problem because bethesda's always known like how moddable their games are especially on pc and they've always really wanted to like try to find a way to make money off it like like any game company really and they're fucking especially like someone like like cause i'm sure their parent company zenimax definitely had a big hand in that too and a lot of those big publishers just they like to fucking money grub but yeah it's it's never gone well with the modding community because the modding community is very like you know they're, they're very steeped in that open source software development kind of culture which doesn't take kindly to you know trying to monetize that those efforts right so mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're coming up to about time for this week, ABs. Spent yeah, about an hour so. on Yakuza, so yeah. I'm feeling pretty good about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Bees, that we spent so much time going on about that. Yeah, I couldn't relate to that at all. The liquor was uh, hitting me, and I was getting just super into it and, and going on with Stu. But well, we'll definitely have to have you on again at some point, Stu, and we can. Because we didn't even get into all the, the tabletop RPG stuff. So I'm sure you have tons of stories you could tell about that. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear more about that. And that's that's a whole area we I meant to get into you with <laughs> into with you with uh, this week. But uh, yeah, we we fell into a Yakuza hole for a bit. And uh, Yakuza right now is the reason for my season. Like a new game comes out, it's gonna be like I don't know 90 to 100 hours. I'm gonna be spending in it like. It's occupying like seventy five percent of my non work thoughts, so <laughs> totally understandable. Well, we're glad within that uh, within that space you could find some time for us this yeah, week. Cool buddy. To be on. <laughs> yeah, if I but, uh, yeah, if I get yeah, back again, we can talk about tabletop stuff. Um, yeah, that's another oh, one yeah. that I could talk forever about. <laughs> yeah, well, next week's gonna be a fun time because next week we got I'm gonna be. Next week on on that Friday when we record, that's the day when I finally end my two month hiatus from pot smoking, <laughs> and I will be smoking weed for the first time in, uh, as I said, two months uh, at that point. 
And next week we will have uh, JC and Dougie back on the show with us here. Be a nice double feature again. Oh, it will be a very nice double feature, and it's going to be a very. <laughs> I'm very. Oh, really? A triple <laughs> feature with that? Yeah. I might need. I might need to rely on you on running the show a little more that week, bees. Oh, I might fine. be a little. I might be a little fucked, but. <laughs> We'll have to see how we're doing then. But we thank you all for joining us again this week. Uh, I've been Bees. I've been Bigby. And uh, as always, uh, check out uh, Blackbird Bell on Spotify and on Twitter and wherever else you find your music. And uh, thanks to him for our use of our... Or for the use of our... Fuck me, I'm too goddamn drunk. <laughs> I'm always so fucked by the end of these episodes. I need to fucking... Blackbird Bell is a cool guy. Check out his stuff. Yeah, uh, our bu- good buddy Zoo, check him out, and we appreciate the use of his intro music. Man, I botched this fucking outro. <laughs> We're gonna use it. It's fine. Um, yeah, that's it. We just fucking charge through. But uh, we thank y'all for joining us this week, and we hope you have a good week until we join you again on the next one. Stay sexy, people.